Hello, and welcome to the First Impressions edition of the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. We are, as per usual, on the road in the lobby of a hotel. Uh, we got some crab dip. I had a, a mahi-mahi sandwich. What did you get again? I had snow crabs. Snow crabs. So that was an experience. Yes. Um, Nate wanted to do more work than I did. I did. I, I didn't get to do the, the the seafood thing last night. Never been to Baltimore, so tonight was the night. I uh, I had done I had done stuffed shrimp with crab imperial the night before, and then I did crab dip today. Um, I I just I got to be honest. I just didn't want to crack open the crab. It was just too much work. That game was a lot. That's why when my brain it was, was shot. that overtime. That extra little period just to well, just they, so I think I think when it really started to like turn into a lot was like, it felt like the Colts were going to lose, and then they went the game tying field goal by Matt Gay, like that drive and field goal, like all of a sudden you're like, wait, wait, wait this is a different game than what I thought it was. Yeah, and it, it just kept it just kept going like things things kept not happening. Is what happened after Matt Gay kicked that field goal was like Justin Tucker did not make his field goal, and then they. And the Colts went three and out, and then the Ravens went three and out, and then they the Colts drove to like the forty something, and went for it on fourth down, and that didn't work. And then the Ravens tried to go for it on fourth down, and that didn't work. Like there was a lot of things that didn't happen. Yeah, there wasn't the the big Lamar Jackson drive after, you know, he scored on that quarterback draw, and I felt like that was at that at that moment it felt like that was going to be the difference. Was one of these teams in this ugly game has a superstar playmaker, and the other one doesn't quite have that upside in its offense. But, I mean, they credit to the Colts' defense. They, that was the last time they let him do that, really, to that level. And, yeah, it turned around. This is a preview of the end. We're going to come back to this question at the end. But I think the best place to start in terms of, before we get into the categories, is what does this mean long term? Does this mean that the Colts are better than we thought? I think right now they are better than we thought because there are – Certainly caveats to this game as far as the Ravens are missing a ton of people, but the Colts are too. They're missing important people at least, missing Anthony Richardson and, and Ryan Kelly going on the road. And the way they did it was the one way that they, they have to do it. They had to do it in this game was certain players at certain positions were just going to have to do some super heroic things, and they did. And some of them are guys that they've believed in and that, that are starting to show – I think more legitimacy than, than maybe we knew was there. So we can kind of get into the specifics as we roll. But I do think that um, as far as, you know, it's it's going to be an up, up and down year as it is when you're a young team and you're building around rookies, rookie quarterback. But I do think they are showing that, like, this is not the team that was just sort of hapless to end last year. And they're not just they're, – they're more than just – you know, excited quarter. They're more than just honestly. This is interesting. They're more than just the rookie quarterback making it more interesting. Today they didn't have him, and it was other guys that kind of came through. And some guys I think are, like I said, showing a little bit more promise than maybe for this season than maybe I thought was there this early. I think. Uh, I think my biggest takeaway is the defense might be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time I was here, you weren't here, obviously. As Nate just pointed out, he's never been to Baltimore. But the last time I was here was the night of the Lamar Jackson ridiculous comeback. And the entire second half of that game, the Colts were desperate for the pass rush to make a play. Um, I can't remember what their offensive line situation was that night. I don't remember if Stanley was playing, what their left tackle situation was. Um, but that, like that, that was the thing that came away from, was the Colts had this big lead, and they just couldn't stop Lamar Jackson in the second half because no one made a play. And... There were times it felt like that was going to happen today, and then the defensive line made another play. Um, you know, I think the Quiddy Pay sack in overtime, the one that was reviewed and had his has he has knee down. I thought that that one was sort of emblematic of like the the pass rush making plays in the second half to keep Jackson, who had a very good game, I thought, yeah. um, given what he was working with. You know, it was emblematic of of. Like this defensive line is different than that one. This there's a there's there's more potential for this defensive line if people stay healthy. Um, and and I mean who knows if maybe not maybe even if they lose one or two because Tommy Wadabare is is still inactive right now. So um, yeah, I I think that that's the biggest takeaway for me is this defense is 
this defensive front might be might be enough to keep them in games. It's an interesting comparison to the defense from two years ago because I think that there's there's still we'll get into this with categories. There's still a little bit more I want to see out of this defense defensive line as far as the matchups are going up against. But the one thing that seems no doubt different than the defense two years ago is they have multiple edge guys. Two years ago, you know, they had a rookie quitty pay and they were starting Al Qadi Muhammad, who's this, you know, run based, you know, more of a run stuffer, edge setter. And they just didn't you know, Dio Dangbo back then was you know, he was coming off the At Achilles that point he was tear. inactive. Yeah, oh yeah, that's he right. He wasn't even I don't think he, he wasn't was even, even out there. Yet. They just they didn't have I mean Taekwon Lewis, that's some depth, but they did not have two guys off the edge who could do things. This year they, they do. Now, like I said, old I'm curious to see quite how you know, loaded this this defensive line is with with some future games coming up, but there's no doubt that Samson Abicom and, and Quiddy Pay are, you know, they're they're at least they're, you feel pretty good about starting those two. Pay has three sacks in three games. He's kind of he kind of said this off season that really what he felt like he needed to do was just be healthy, and he's backing it up so far. Three sacks in three mm-hmm. games. He's been dynamite against the run. Um, yeah, I I think that that that's. I don't want to step too much on the categories, but that's that's my. But I, I agree with your overall take, and I'll, I'll use the categories to explain why. But there's something with the defense that I think is changing the conversation with them and making me think there's there's more to that group. The defense is the defense is the way the defense is playing. It's going to keep them in more games, and it's going to mask some of the stuff with the offense. But we'll we'll get to, to the categories right now. Uh, starting off with hero of the game. I'll let you take the one you wrote about, and I'll go with the one I wrote about. Okay, that works. Um, I'm going to go with Zach Moss. He's not the most obvious hero, which I'm just leaving for Joel, um, who uh, was the obvious hero. But Zach Moss, that was a pretty heroic performance, and you really think about it. He carried the ball 30 times. 30 times in an NFL game is a crazy amount for 2023. It's not normal how you draw it up. Today was different. You know, backup quarterback in there. On the road, Colts passing him still was, thin. That's the other part. Like they gave Trey Sermon some yeah. carries, but well, and that's the thing that made it heroic to me is there was a moment in that game where Zach Moss on his 16th carry, which is still a good workload, 16th carry goes down and gets rolled up on by two different Ravens defenders, and um, we've got a great photo of it. At, uh, Jenna Watson, Indy Star, is a great photo of him getting rolled up on it, just getting like twisted, and it looks like how does a human survive this? And he's like crawling almost more like very dramatically limping off the field i'm not saying he's that's a bad phrasing he was really banged up is what i'm getting at he looked like a guy who should sit for a bit instead he sat for maybe a drive of trey sermon and then came back out there and didn't just come back out there but he had 14 more carries in that game um and was effective like made the plays he had a 24 yard run you know, they stopped him a few times, of course, when it was getting obvious they were going to run, but he got the first down in overtime to give uh, the other hero of the game a chance. And just he was exactly what they had to have in this game, where it was not going to be flashy, big plays. They're just they're not built for that right now with the guys they have out there. But if they had one guy who could really – like he had to really grind it out. And to grind it out on a 30-carry level when – you're hobbled like that. He had two different moments of going down and being in pain, and um, he clearly was fighting through it and just, I think, really put an offense on his back sort of in that fourth quarter in overtime and, you know, and averaged 4.1 yards a carry, which is more than the whole passing game averaged per drop back. So he's really kind of all they had, and, uh, and you just wonder, like, the other options they had at the position with, obviously, no Jonathan Taylor. Uh, they released Deion Jackson this week. They signed Trey Sermon off the street. He had a couple carries, but, like, I don't know what else they were going to do if he couldn't come back in that game. And he did come back in that game, and he helped win it for them. And uh, I think it's a huge reason. You know, running backs is, in this day and age don't often win you a game necessarily. Today he was he was pretty close to that. My hero of the game is Matt Gay. And when we were divvying up stories, um, I made the point that I get to take Matt Gay because I was the one who killed them the most for uh, keeping Rodrigo Blankenship after he missed the, the winner in the season opener. So I had to, had to give them credit for doing what I said they should do and getting a real kicker. Um, Matt Gay had an unbelievable day. and my uh, There's a story up already 
um, no matter when you're listening to this, there's a story up already on Matt Gay's his big day. But just like I was down there for doing my normal Fox 59 CBS four hit for uh, the blue zone. And Justin Tucker was warming up in the Colts end zone, which is the East end zone, I believe at MNT bank stadium. And Matt Gay walked out and they kind of talked to each other for a little bit. And then Justin Tucker, um, was warming up and Matt Gay was going to warm up in the Colts end zone. And basically, uh, I don't think Tucker said anything, but like basis at some point, like it was like, no, you can't warm up here. You, this is where Justin warms up. Mm. Um, and gay went to the other end zone. Um, and it was just kind of like a, these are the two highest paid kickers in football. Like an interesting little moment there. Um, obviously Justin Tucker is Justin Tucker. You know, gay called him arguably the greatest kicker in NFL history afterwards. So he has that, that thing. But, but today Matt gay was better. Um, and I, I, that's not – I'm not taking a dig at Justin Tucker. I mean, a 61-yard field goal is – you're not supposed to make those. The fact that it feels like he's supposed to make that is is a sign of how great he is. But but Matt Gay was better today and um, and gave the Colts something they have not had since Adam Vinatieri was – since before age got Adam Vinatieri. He, they, they have a kicker that they can feel comfortable in sending out four times from 53 yards or more, and he hit all of them. And won them a game. I mean, he won He won them a game. They scored one touchdown today. Uh, the other 16 points in the game were off of Matt Gay's foot. And I think that that's, I mean, just, just an unreal game for a kicker. Um, and, and such a different story than what I've written about with kickers for the first however many years I've covered this team. Uh, in, in 18, we had Vinatieri breaking some records, and that was fun. But then uh, 19 was a disaster. 20 was okay, but it ended up being bad with, with some bad misses from Blankenship. 21 was the injury and a missed game winner in Baltimore. Um, 22 was the Blankenship disaster at the beginning. Like they, they, they've, they've been, they tried so long to just find a young guy. They tried to, to stick with Blankenship and see where it went. And finally, they just went out and paid for a kicker. And it paid off. And a lot of, I remember a lot of skeptical people when they went out and did that. Like, why are they spending this kind of money on a kicker? But it's only five-ish million dollars a year. Well, th- this was yeah, this was my point at the time. Five five and a half million dollars under the current cap is so little. Yeah, for a guy who can clearly show today win you a game, and that'll matter when, especially when they you know, as they eventually hope to be a playoff team, and, and kickers win and lose games all the time. Matt Gay's won a Super Bowl, so this is the type of guy they brought in to do that, and it is incredible to come into Justin Tucker's stadium his home stadium and one up him as a as a kicker who normally kicks your field goals in domes and today the weather the you know the hurricane stuff that mostly held off but it still was a drizzly overcast like it's just not the easiest thing as a as a road kicker to come in there and do that and like they put a graphic up on the on the scoreboard for justin tucker to underscore how elite he is you know he's he has 58 field goals at 50 yards or more you know and 200 field goals of 40 yards or more and this is the guy that Matt Gay outdid and I just remember you bring it up when I first got on the beat that 2021 year was when Rodrigo Blankenship got hurt I think in that game against Baltimore and then they signed uh Michael Badgley and it felt like the rest of the year they weren't even going to attempt a 50 yarder that that was like not even something they considered that they could do back then because they couldn't Rodrigo Blankenship and, and Badgley were very, very bad from beyond 50, like historically bad. So to have a guy that hit four of those, and they didn't – I mean, it's not like they were – like he had plenty of distance and it was down the middle. Like it was just a clinic that he put on. And, yeah, certainly when you break down – like if they didn't have that, if they had a guy that could only hit a 48-yarder today, I mean, they wouldn't have even had a chance. That's how much that mattered. That moves us to villain of the game, as always, after a win, must remind people – and make Nate feel better. This is sort of like an MCU villain. Like they, they have their reasons, and their reasons are understandable. But they ended up not having a good game. Mine is easy. It is Gardner Minshew. I understand that he drove them for a game-tying field goal, um, but ultimately, the only reason they needed a game-tying instead of a game, the only reason Matt Gay's 53-yarder at the end of regulation was a game-tier instead of a game winner, was that Minshew stepped out of the back of the end zone. Uh, the passing game was largely ineffective all day, and I have, I'm, I'm just going to throw up my number of the day right now. We're just going to do two categories in one. 3.8 yards per drop back. 
spectacular. It's spectacularly bad. Like that's it's that's lower than Zach un- Moss's. It's unbelievably bad. Yards per carry. And and it's not on a day when, um, sometimes you get you get, like, sort of snowball effect type stuff where you have a truly terrible completion percentage drawing it down. I mean he he wasn't great. He could, but he he completed sixty one percent of his passes, like. They they just did not move the ball down the field, and he had chances and missed. I I think that I think a lot of people are gonna like. He missed Alec Pierce on the first drive. It was a bad throw. Um. On a crosser, like a, an intermediate crosser, that he that he, it, he he Pierce was open, should hit him. He missed Pierce twice on deep balls down the sideline, including one in overtime, where the the defensive back fell down, and. The ball just had to go to Pierce's hands, and it probably would have been a game-winning touchdown. Um, but three three point eight yards per play—it's just not. Sus- that, that's a. I I I would love to know. And I I didn't have time to look this up on Pro Football Reference. How many times a team has won with that little yards per dropback? Yeah. I mean, I mean, his yards per attempt passing. That's this is a that's a more common stat. It was something around the lines of like. Uh, four and a half or five or something like that, but which is still terrible. That's truly terrible. Like seven and a half is good, um, but drop back adds in sacks, and he took five sacks, three by Kyle Hamilton in the first half. Which, in the aftermath of all of the win and all the Matt Gay stuff, we didn't get a chance to ask like why did Kyle Hamilton? Why was Kyle Hamilton unblocked on the same play essentially three times? Um, we'll get to that later in the week, but the quarterback is is generally supposed to recognize those and get the ball out of his hands, make an adjustment, do something. I, I don't think that Minshew is blameless in the Kyle Hamilton of it all. Um, so that takes five sacks. Those five sacks went for however many yards. That takes away from his overall passing total. And like I said, we, we, we end up with 3.8 yards per drop back. It's, it's an incredibly bad number. Yeah, he wasn't – was was not good and the thing was like even even his best play the, the 34 yard play to michael Pittman, in terms of like numbers Pittman made that play oh yeah i'll say like he had a couple of throws that were impressive a couple he had that touchdown on the wheel route to zach moss was pretty perfectly placed and just read at the right moment you know he had that throw the end of regulation to alec pierce down the left sideline that i've seen some fans crushing Alec Pierce forward. It was a great play by the defensive back, dropping back in coverage. I still don't know how Brandon Stevens got his hand. Just like, incredible. Like, was aware enough to get his hand to the ball. So I'll give Minshew credit for that. It's just hard to find many more plays than that, like plays. And it's it's easy, yes. I mean, they won the game, and but the category is to, like, we're, we're here to nitpick, and within a win, you can still have guys who don't play well. Oh, I'm not nitking, nitpicking. It, it was 3.8. That's not a nitpick. That's yeah, bad. I know, I know. But, but what I'm <laughs> – sorry. <laughs> You're right. What I'm getting at is I've, I've seen people say, well, you know, but he managed it well. It's a tough spot. That's true. But he should have – like, technically in the box where he had zero turnovers, that fumble was an egregious fumble, just destroyed by Kyle Hamilton. It's the type of play that – you could see in a different the ball bounced a little differently. It could be a scoop and score, and that may have you know done the game in. So, and not to mention he also you know you can't. And this will play into my villain. Um, so I'll just kind of play off this. My villain is because uh, I'm going to blame both of these guys for this. It was Isaiah McKenzie for letting that punt roll down to the one yard line mm-hmm. at the moment where he did it. Now Isaiah also had a very nice return. So this one is a little nitpicky, but that play. I felt like that was going to cost them the game because obviously they get the safety, which is bad, but they just, there's no way that offense, there was no way they had a chance to go from the one yard line with the type of playmakers they had with the quarterback they had in with not having the quarterback run with letting a defense just tee off in that moment. There was no way that was going to work They're They're fortunate. The offense and special teams is fortunate that, the defense stepped up and got them the ball back, but they went down three in that moment. And again, they're lucky they had Matt Gay who can hit from 53 yards to even tie that, but that should have lost in the game. And, but this plays into Gardner Minshew is that even, even though he was put in a terrible situation like that, you can't compound it by just dropping back out of bounds. And the first, the first two snaps of that driver bad too. He almost got sacked twice. Yeah. It was like, it was just a safety, like safety just felt inevitable in that moment. And again, it's a tough spot to be in. But it can't. It just can't quite go well, that way. Well, I mean, safety shouldn't feel inevitable. Like, 
They just shouldn't. Not yeah. in the NFL. Like safeties are these rare, like, um, you know, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that uh, former co-host Jim Ayala loved them, and I think the reason he loved them is because they just you just you can watch you can watch dozens of NFL football games and never see a safety. Like they're they're unicorns because the quarterbacks are so quarterbacks in the NFL are generally so aware of where they are that they don't that they get the ball out of their hands. They like there's there's a lot of stuff they do. There were three plays there. He he was very lucky to not have been pulled down for a sta- safety on the previous play. Like he mm-hmm. was in he was he was being pulled. Like it was it was not good. It was like he was in danger on all three on all three snaps. And one of the things I noticed out of him that's just sort of it's just weird is like I I understood it was that even for a, a, a good performance from a backup it, of course it wasn't going to be perfect today you're going up against good defense conditions are a little weird um but there were just like it just doesn't feel like he is even trying to get explosive plays very often like there was a moment where you know Alec Pierce broke open late. The defender fall that fell down. And he may have fallen down while the ball was in the air, but ended up Alec Pierce ended up being wide open, and he just sailed it out of bounds, like just giving up on the play rather than giving his guy a chance. You know, forty yards down the field, where those are like those calculated risks. I, I want Anthony Richardson to take more of those, but Gardner should know that, like at times, if you're going to throw it in that direction, like you got to take a chance to give your guy the ability to catch it. And he had another one down the left sideline, Alec Pierce, that was like. 20 yards over his head like they're just the misses are they're just not very serious misses they aren't like you know you try to dial up and you missed your timing a little bit or you got hit as you throw it's like just wild ducks into the wind sometimes and it's it's those low moments that are like just a little concerning to me from from a veteran who's you know he's known for taking care of the ball being efficient and there were times today where you know he did a lot of that but there still seems to be a little um, just especially when he's on the move under duress, it just it feels like it's pretty dangerous. He's a backup quarterback. Yep. Unsung. Wait, did you do your villain? Yes, you did. Yes. Unsung hero. I'm gonna go with Juju Brents. It's good. So one. Juju got the start today, uh, first NFL game, and they decided to make a pretty big shift, making Daryl Baker Jr. inactive after he's been the starter put Juju Brents out there and make him the starter and and it paid off it was like the thing I you know last week I I made Gus Bradley the villain for even in a win for for not playing Juju so I've got to I got to give Juju credit for really delivering on that moment and, and credit to the you know coaching staff for making that adjustment but Juju I thought was just he just flashed and it's not easy for you know a rookie cornerback on the road the way, like it's just really hard to play Lamar Jackson where you're kind of running all over the field and you have to cover for long stretches sometimes and uh, it could be just very easy for a cornerback to get down on his confidence when his coaching staff for two straight weeks makes him a healthy scratch and what can happen is either the players you know it's one or the other it's, it's like you're either timid or you're trying to do too much and like make that impact and show why you belong instead I thought he told the line perfectly well where I, I just saw tight coverage out there. I saw he's physical, just the tackles, popping guys over the middle. He's stopped Mark Andrews. Like, he played in the gray very effectively, which is not easy to do for a rookie. That's They get away with a lot more in college. That's a hard part of the transition. And then I thought he had a play that was the turning point in the game where he punched the ball out from Kenyon Drake along the right sideline and recovered it. If you remember that, the Ravens were up 7 nothing, driving into the red zone. And, like, if this gets into a game where it's 14 nothing Ravens and Gardner Minshew's dropping back a ton and those pass rushers are, you know, teeing off, not looking at the run as much, if Zach Moss is, you know, steady 4.1 yards a carry type game, if that's not if that's not a well they can go to as much because they're down two scores, it's like this could unravel on them. And I thought that was a moment that I've, you know, guys on the, on the Colts defense felt, like, inspired by, like, they needed that moment of like we're here, like our defense can lift us today, and I thought Juju really flashed today. Unsung hero for me, since we haven't thrown them in the hero category, defensive line again. They're, they're just four sacks again today. Um, that's twelve for the season so far. A lot of big plays. Ravens running game really didn't do much. Uh, it was pretty much up to Lamar Jackson, and I think I think that the way I kept thinking of it was like they. 
the Colts defense got in a situation where they were trading blow for blow with with Lamar Jackson, and like, yes, Lamar won some, obviously, but the Colts defense won their share too, and and Lamar wasn't able to take over the game the way we've seen him do it before. So just the entire Colts defensive line, you know, uh, on a day when when Baltimore was was actively trying to stay away from the two big big baddies in the uh, in the middle of the line. Um, Grover the guard butcher, and uh, I forgot already what our DeForest Buckner villain was from last year. If somebody remembers, tweet me. Um, but they they said like DeForest said that him. Well, you're comparing him to his reach to a dinosaur, right? Yeah, well I've done that, but there was another one. There's like there was one from last year that like I had a superhero to go with Grover the guard butcher or a super villain, one of the two. Mm. Um. Anyway. The, they t- they said after it, like DeForest and Grover, Buck and Grover, were, were talking on the sideline, like, man, are we going to get to do anything today? Because they were just trying to keep them, the Ravens were trying to keep away from them. And the rest of the defensive line and the defense held up their end of the bargain. I think that's that's big. So defensive line for unsung hero. Unsung villain. Mm. Um. This, is, this, one, this category is going to be tough on a day when they – they beat someone they were supposed to lose to by seven points, according to Vegas. Yeah. I mean, with this kind of thing, especially with how many guys at least sort of met their expectation level, I mean, I'm going to have to go with, I guess, Braden Smith. There's Penalties have been an issue for the offensive line. I think they've overall performed above expectations so far. Certainly they're a lot better than they were last year when it was a, you know, the, the thing that sunk the season. They've They've gotten the job done for the most part, and it's just just some of the penalties and some of the moments that they have them in. And, um, and you know, I thought Braden was very good the week before against Will Anderson, so we know what he can be. It just today he didn't feel like he had it the same way. I just a couple of times beat off the right edge and um, got flied for one or two penalties in there and just didn't, you know, that's when, like, when they were backed up, it's a hard spot to be in, in the safety situation, like, he he was he was getting beat pretty uh he he was getting challenged pretty hard. It just what didn't seem like as as sharp of a game from him. So it's it's a little nitpicky on that one, but that's that's the best that's I That's gonna be the nature of unsung villains in games like this. Um this is this maybe this is a cop out, maybe this is going along with my villain because it I mean the responsibility might be Gardner Minshew's, but whoever was supposed to block <laughs> Kyle whoever. Hamilton. Whoever that was, <laughs> whoever was, whoever is ultimately responsible for a safety getting three sacks in the first half on essentially the same blitz, like whoever that is, that's the unsung villain. <laughs> and the reason they're unsung is not because no one noticed; it's because I don't know exactly whose fault it was at this point. And I, we might not know because like Shane Steichen is going to blame himself, uh, and Jim Bob Cooter is going to blame himself, and then you know, I don't know that we're going to hear it from any anybody anywhere else. But whoever's job it was to figure that out, like just that, just just ridiculous. And there were a couple of plays in the second half. He almost did it again. He almost had a four sack day. Yeah. Um, and again, they're lucky that that didn't that fumble. I'm trying to remember who landed back on that ball. I thought for sure that was that, that was like a classic. I think Pitt scoop and score type situation. Pitt Pittman. That was a brutal sack. So that that certainly could have could have lost them the game. Um. I believe that brings us to number of the game. I've already given mine. 3.8. I want to keep going over this. 3.8 yards per attempt. Attempt. I'm going to go back to all of you who are asking me why Gardner Minshew wasn't starting the whole season last week. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's that's a pretty brutal number. Mine's going to just sort of tie into that, I guess. Um, mine's 20, which is the total number, number of yards from Colts tight ends today. Oh. Um that's that's pretty not acceptable in any game. If uh if you read ten things to watch in Colts Ravens, there was a note in there that the Ravens thus far have allowed essentially nothing to tight ends. Well then maybe I'm Dalton being Schultz, harsh. Dalton Schultz had two catches for four yards and I'm not even sure who the Bengals tight end is this year, but I think it's is it Irv Smith? Yes, that sound right. He had two catches for ten yards. Okay, I mean, the the Ravens are tremendous at this. They they've got, you know, they they went out and got Roquan Smith so they could 
do think, a lot I more think of this. You can still say it's fair, but I, think I still think. I mean, fair. twenty yards. That plays right into the number you're bringing up. Still, it was forty-four dropbacks to only have twenty yards. Like it just. That's why they were just they were so three and out. Unless Zach Moss was going to run some people over in the second half, that was where Michael Pittman goes up and mosses some people. That was tight ends just didn't didn't really deliver anything. And uh, you know it's kind of ironic. Like that I wrote last week about Kylan Granson's you know hilarious. If you haven't checked it out, his hilarious maternity photo shoot with the football first touchdown. Like overall, I'd I think for guy, for Kylan Granson, I, I I'm really not worried about, but. But he didn't he didn't build off that this week and, and no one else really kind of showed through at that position. Still a position that just overall just been a long time since it's really produced that much. So it feels like I'm interested to see when Jelani Woods can get back and, and what he can add to that because I just too many of these games, like you look for the numbers and it just not not much tight end production. And today was was kind of a bottoming out. Now I come to the interlude, the fun part in the middle. Game day observation. Uh, we were getting a little kick out of it during the game, but that uh, the the CGI Raven that they would yeah, have yeah, on yeah. the scoreboard. I was mesmerized by it. It was very cool. Um, James Boyd from the Athletic called it a, a PS2 Raven, which it was not was, as. I was upset. That, that was a little little harsh. I said I at least saw PS3 in it. PS2 was going it. back a bit, but it's just some of the effects that they would put around that Raven, like. It looked like it was. Uh, we're not gonna get too graphic, Somebody, but it looked like there were things that it was doing that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like well, going I to the said bathroom. At one point, it does look like the Ravens pooping. Yes. Yeah, and then yeah, and then. <laughs> but I but but I thought Boy. generally I we thought we were generally with, I, uh, not to get too graphic, but we were breaking down how realistic that was to be Raven poop, and someone's br- like, question about it said, "Hey, this is the podcast. We didn't make up the categories. Like we have to, <laughs> we have to really get in the weeds of these game day observations." So uh, that Raven, <laughs> and it was on their list costly. That was just that's like their their gimmick here, and it was I don't know, it was fun. Uh, game day observation for me. I'm trying to think. I feel like I had one, and it's not coming to my brain right now. If it comes back, I'll bring it back later in the podcast. Um, my game day observation was going to be the Tucker-Matt Gay thing, and then that turned out to be like the story of the game. Um, mm-hmm. I I think I might just go with uh, the Ravens need to up their vintage jersey game. It's been This team has yeah. been like pretty good for a long time. And so, like, there's a lot of players who played for the Ravens who maybe aren't, like, the Ray Lewis's and Ed Reed's of the world that, like, I think should get some love. Peter, I, like, I should see a Peter Bowl wear. There's Jeremy Macklin. Oh, that's a good one. There's Jeremy Macklin, which, for two people who graduated from Missouri, we like that one. There's an Elvis Doomerville. But, like, there, there's some other Like, you could you could drop a Terrell Suggs in there, right? Like, Yeah, too much, wear, too much Ed Reed, Ray Lewis. Syracuse would be a good one. Yeah, it's a good you one. You can bring back Syracuse. There was an Anquan Bolden. We like that one. I did like the Bolden one. I covered his last year in Detroit. That's a nice deep cut. Matt Stover would be an interesting one. Yeah, it's an interesting franchise because obviously they had the old, old days of the Baltimore Colts, which started to bring up some harsh memories for people. No, they didn't. The Baltimore Colts are the Indianapolis Colts. That's right. The well, I'm bra- saying, the yeah, Ravens I'm saying are in Baltimore. The Browns. Right. In Baltimore, the Baltimore has an old NFL history, but the actual Baltimore Ravens you know, got there at the end of the 90s. So it's like, it's not going to be the best stadium for deep cut jerseys, but they could do better. They they had many teams that have been so good over the years that there's always role players on that. Um, Peter Boulware, that's, <laughs> that, that that was a, I like that one. I, I wanted to see a Peter Boulware. Oh, he's jersey. good. He was good. I didn't see any of those. Uh, three football things that gave me joy. Shane Steichen's little gambit. Number one with his field goal unit and running people out there and running people on the substitution thing was a football thing that gave me joy. And it, there's a, the Colts have tweeted it out or X'd it out, X Twittered it out. Um, they, there's like a little reaction from Steichen looking across the other sideline. He like gives a little smirk and like little like head nod. I like it. It's just fun gamesmanship. It was chaos too. Like for several plays, it was just wild. What I thought was interesting on that play was the uh, you know because they're substituting. You know, they by rule the ref has to let the the other team substitute. So he's hold the refs holding up the ball, and the, the Ravens defensive linemen were uh, very slowly jogging onto the field to let that clock run. And it was just funny because immediately the next play when the the Colts were trying to do it again, 
Ravens players were trying to get off the field, and all of a sudden, those those gingerly moving linemen all of a sudden seemed to find some like four or five speed in their bodies to get off the field. So it was just a it was a fun back and forth. But we like to pinball these um, these things. So I'm going to go with the catch that Michael Pittman made, um, specifically the fact that you know he got his helmet hit off in the middle of it falls down he's sitting on the ground and drew ogletree's trying to pick him up and get him to keep running without his helmet on and drew uh, pit i went up to and i was like what are you and he's like it's all drew's fault drew's drew's talking me into it he was talking me into running without a helmet on and he's they turned around he's like you know we aren't even allowed to do that so they just said like a little jokey Is that argument outlawed now because jason witten famously did it like a long time ago yeah it's they'll whistle that dead now okay so that's what Pitt was telling him like i'm not even allowed to do that you're just trying to get me killed so it was a funny moment between teammates uh number two football thing that gave me joy um zaire franklin's just refusal to back down from anyone and he kind of rides the line of being the antagonist yeah uh there was the play i think that everybody saw where he kind of tackled lamar and kind of held onto his leg like a little bit long um, but but there's been a lot of those moments. Like it, it's funny because like you're is like a team leader and a very thoughtful person, and um, like he's it, it just like you need to have. It's good when your linebacker plays with that kind of edge. You need guys with the edge, and he's really good at the line because I can like he at walking the line because I cannot think off the top of my head of any time he's like drawn on sportsmanlike conduct. He's right on the line. He's doing just enough to annoy people. <laughs> And kind of let them know, like, we're here without getting flagged. Like, it, it's a really fine line to walk, and it's something the defense needs. And even when it does feel like it spills over, like one time when I was at a joint practice in Philly, it's because the other <laughs> the other teammate took it too far. It wasn't Zaire who took it too far. It was Jason Kelsey for running in and blindsiding him and later had to apologize for it. So I do like that one because Zaire has – I think he's bringing the right amount of edge there where it's not – selfish and reckless but it it is showing people that like we're not going to be knocked around and last year late last year we we were pretty hard on this team for not really showing a lot of the fight you know not just bad results but just pretty tough body language in certain moments and it just felt like a locker room that needed a, just a little bit more uh spice and Zaire's adding that and it's just fun that the guy like you mentioned the guy adding that just has this fully rounded personality where he's also the team leader. He's a thoughtful, he's our media good guy winner. He's just found a way to kind of do everything. And that's, that's pretty hard to do. So your turn. Number two. Oh, I'm running out of some of these. I mean, there's, yeah, like I kind of used one of them up. I was going to use the, I can't believe Zach Moss came back in after you see the photo where two guys are like snapping him in half. Like it is, it is brutal that they're just like laying on his on his back like that, and then he was able to kind of just crawl back in the game. And, and so I guess I'll kind of make an extension to that there were some plays. I think he and he he managed to get you know you you get he had so many carries after that. I think he got in more of a flow and running on adrenaline. But there were moments that he's sort of like running with a little bit of a peg leg, just in the early stages of kind of getting back into that, and it was just. Interesting to watch that, and that's why it feels just so heroic that he was able to go out there and do that, and also a little concerning that that's like you'd rather have Zach Moss on in that situation than anybody else running the ball. But I'm at least impressed from Zach Moss's level of like just the whole totality of seeing that in such a wet and weird and drizzly and defensive game. It I don't know, it felt pretty throwback for him to play the way he did. Um, I want to go back. I'm going to do this real quick, uh, but just another unsung villain for me. Just that ref crew has never like called a face mask. Oh yeah. In history. They yes. missed a, they missed a really obvious Zach Moss one that we saw very obviously from the press box. They missed another one late in the game, uh, that the Colts committed. Like, come on, it's a face mask. The head whips around. I don't feel like that's a hard one to see. Mm. Um, I think, I think the other, um, football thing that's going to give me joy from from that game is the uh, just the Juju Brents chop. <laughs> I really I really love when when defensive players are like that was a big play for Kenyon Drake. Like they, the Ravens had something going there on that play, 
mm-hmm. and like when when a defensive player has the presence of mind to ruin an offense's big play by chopping the ball out of the hands or punching a ball out of the hands, like I always, I, I love defensive football, and so I, I just thought like I, I just love any time that happens. Like you can just feed me plays of like the offense getting 30 yards and then losing the ball at the end because a defensive player made a great play and just ruins the whole thing and like i'm all there for it yep yep reminiscent of the greatest play i've ever seen or or most fun play like that i've ever seen in a national title game of football is when maurice claret chased down a player in the national title game and punched the ball out and it was like the best offensive play in a very ugly defensive game so those are always fun turning points uh, the other thing that gave me some joy was uh, in the box score, Taven Bryan has both a sack and a forced fumble uh, because, because Lamar, Lamar Jackson, Jackson dropped the ball. Dropped the ball. <laughs> With some bodies kind of around him, but it was not. They, they basically, basically decided that Taven Bryan was the closest. And it there just, has to be a sack on that play. That's the thing, is for a fumble to, be, to have happened in the pocket, a sack has to have happened. Yeah. Even though – yeah, he just dropped the ball. So it's just funny because, like, it, this is just a weird – it's a weird game where, like, so many guys don't get statistical credit for great things they do. I mean, look at uh, Grover Stewart. But, like, once in a while there's just these weird oddity things where, like – like there was one play last year where Jul- Julian Blackman got a sack and had no idea and didn't believe us when we told him because he got, like – he ran up to some guy who had slid, like, 10 seconds before and, like – tapped it with his foot that counted as a sack so there's just always some of these random things you get but like you know who can when when you get into like contract negotiations don't don't bring up any of the details just say you know what i got a force (laughs) a sack and a a force fumble against lamar jackson like that's pretty athletic so i would so so soak it in Taven brian uh this is this is what happens late at night the we are we are into the last couple categories here um Oh, too much blame or too much credit, too little credit. That's where we are. Uh, I, I was trying, I was, I was having trouble remembering the category, but it's too much credit, too little credit. So we're going to start with too much credit for today's win. <laughs> Mine's going to kind of work against the theme that you've had for this a little bit, but I'll explain it. I'm going to go with the Colts edge rushers only because look, they're very impressive, and D line played a great game. And like I said, I I do think they have two legit edge rushers. But it's just interesting to me how we've had three games and the Colts have faced three backup left tackles. Yeah, they haven't faced the left ta- starting it's, left tackle yet. Like I thought this would be the week where they got a test. Ronnie Stanley couldn't go. And so it's just like it, it makes it – you just wonder like how good are they. And I, I do feel good about those guys, but I really would like to see them against – like it's just in this league there's a huge drop-off at the depth, you know, at that position from – Ronnie Stanley, who's like a above average, you know, franchise left tackle to anybody who's just going to fill in. So we'd still need to see more tests out of them for me to really say like, okay, you know, they can perform at like a number one edge rusher level. So I just don't want to take what they did too far. Is it bad if I go with the quarterback again? <laughs> it does well, fit. It does fit. He's the fi- he's the villain. So why is he getting credit? Well, like. I, I mean, like he, he got his start. He got a start, and like he did, he did complete. Like they, he drove them down. They had completed passes on that drive to tie the game. Mm-hmm. But for the most most of the game, like like so, he he got a win as a backup as a starter and a start. But like, it just they kind of had to overcome him. Yep. And so, like, talking about like even in the post game press conference it was about like resilience from that position and stuff like that and like again he, he did make some throws but like they the offense the to, the offense as a whole had 3.9 yards per play that's really bad like they ended up with 350 yards but they, they ran 84 plays to get there and like, they won the turn they had to win a turnover marjo 2-0 like in a game like this in in let's just put it this way in the list of who gets credit for that game like Matt Gay, Zach Moss, Pittman, um, defensive line, Juju Brents, Zaire Franklin, like all of those guys, the defense in general, like they did more 
for the win mm-hmm. than than that. So I, I mean, it, this is probably too harsh, but I'm just gonna go with that. No, I think it's, it's fair it's, because it's, the, the, the the per play of it, like the per play of the offense today, like just or how about that the offense? There, I'll change it to the offense. Like the per play of the offense is not good enough. No. Three point three point nine yards per play. Even even Zach Moss is four point one yards per carry. Like he did have at one point it was like seventeen for ninety five, and I think it went down a little bit because he got hurt. But like if he was seventeen for ninety five and he finished thirty for one twenty two, that means he was thirteen for twenty seven down the stretch, and that includes a thirteen yard carry that set up the big field goal. Like on a per play basis, the offense is going to get too much credit for it because they they did not move the ball as well as it seemed. Well, especially when 34 yards was – I mean, you can credit Pittman for sure, but a very broken play that one guy sort of heroically pulled out. There's just the structure – this had to be an in-structure game because they didn't have an out-of-structure winning quarterback. And the in-structure of this offense is – it was very unimpressive. And it was just – they had to overcome that offense with a kicker who can make four 50-plus yard field goals with two to zero – turnover margin um so i guess you credit for the offense for not turning over which is really michael pittman again for jumping on a on a fumble um really that offense outside of michael pittman was pretty pretty tough and again zach moss was more of a heroic effort like i was more impressed by that the fact that he went through it and had those carries after the injury but the performance of it all was certainly lacking and that like that's why like it's not too harsh i don't think to you know, bait Gardner into a lot of this because my takeaway with this was like, okay, it's it's good that they found a script that they could win a road game with a backup, and Gardner is better than, you know, some other backups. But I still came away from this thinking they really need Anthony Richardson. This offense is just not able to move the ball or not. There's just not a lot that Shane Sykin, I think, can get into in the playbook to really open stuff up without having that dual threat quarterback who can also launch the ball 65 yards in the air so um to just certainly in terms of credit like if you look at like a great team win and, and gritty way of doing it but the model's not sustainable until they get anthony richardson back i have a bonus football thing the game we joined before we get to too little credit it's not from this game though but i really just want to highlight it a fullback scored on an 85 yard kick return today in the nfl <laughs> that's pretty great and he fumbled it. He didn't catch it cleanly. I remember you showing me that play. That's, it uh, happened in the Texans-Jaguars game. Just go look for it. It's, it's, I saw somebody said it was the, the heaviest player. Andrew Beck is listed at 255 pounds. He's the heaviest player in NFL history to return a kick of more than 80 yards for a touchdown. Just, just very enjoyable. As anyone who listens to this podcast knows, uh, I made a plea for a 300-pound gunner. Last year, a 255-pound fullback returning a kick for a touchdown is the inverse of that, special teams-wise. I, I just had to bring it up. That brought me joy. Yeah, I guess the last one, if I, I have to match yours then, the last thing I would say that brought me joy since we're going to other games is I had my first catch today. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> Nate Adkins of the Broncos had an 11-yard catch. an 11-yard catch. So Joel brought that up in the press box. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you. It's a big day, though. In 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 uh in in an otherwise terrible game for Nate Atkins because the Broncos gave up 430 points. Yes. Uh, As a backstory, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's a rookie out of South Carolina. His his name is literally name is, Nate Atkins. Well, it's a D instead of a T. Right. So that's the one difference. But people have made that mistake with my name my whole life. So I've always had my name written that, that way by other people. And so like whenever this guy. I learned about this player only because when he would do good things at South Carolina, people would tweet at me, and then occasionally he would do something to make people mad, and they'd get mad at me, and I'm just like, all right, I'll take the credit. If you think I'm an NFL player who caught a pass for the Broncos, I mean, again, like Taven Bryan, like don't take the credit if people are willing to give it to you. Too little credit for today's game. Huh. Um, I'm going to go with the – interior defensive line of the Colts because they cert- like they didn't jump out. They, you didn't really notice them because finally we saw an opponent that was aware enough to say we're not going to run at those guys. But it really limited what the Ravens could do when you're just not going to go up the middle in a game where it's naturally a little sloppy and, and hard to move. And I think some of that um, sort of forced adjustments on the Ravens' part 
like did work out in the Colts' favors, where you know they were able to, um, you know, they were able to flush Lamar a little bit. They forced two turnovers. Uh, well, well, I should say they were. They had some plays where they got to him in the backfield. It was, it was impressive. One of those, they recovered a fumble. Um, so those guys didn't really, in terms of impact, do a lot. And they joked that they weren't doing a lot. But that's just because that's what they've earned at this point is that they're so good that teams are scared. This team finally was scared to do anything on them. So I think they deserve some credit for forcing that. Wide receivers for me, too little credit. Michael Pittman and Josh Downs had very, were very tough today. Mm-hmm. Um I'm going to go against – I know Alec Pierce is the person that everybody li- loves to hate right now, but uh, like uh, he had a 23-yard catch early in the game that was important. Um, I think on the – he had a, he had a catch late that I think started one of the drives or might have been in the game-tying drive. Um, but, but Downs and Pittman, Jr., for sure. Um, Downs had eight catches, I think. Yep. Um, and I believe Pittman had nine. Um and and there were some other plays where they were op- like all three receivers were open, and I thought Minshew's ball placement didn't do them any favors. So I, the 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 receivers in general. The- yeah, and, and like I said, Pittman recovering that fumble was huge. I mean, I think we'd be talking about that fumble if he didn't in the in the Ravens scooped and scored because today was a day where like the Colts just weren't built to match scores like that, go blow for blow with teams. So yeah, the receivers you look back on it like that's. That does play off well with my tight end thing. The tight ends did nothing because the receivers had to do everything in the passing game. So, I agree. Take that will go away. Take from this game that 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 is is. It's just not going to end up being true over the long haul. Um. I'm deciding how many, whether to go back to the well again. But I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there who are going to say that, like the Colts are fine if Anthony Richardson doesn't start, and they can go on the road, and they can handle this, and that this is this is set up. Uh, I give so much credit to Matt Gay for historic performance, Zach Moss for an incredibly gutty performance, the defense for really bringing it all together. But like this team needs its quarterback. This. If this were to like extend, if they had to play the rest of the season like this, this would be a pretty rough team. So I don't want people thinking that like they found a different way to exist. The best, the one reality for this offense to be a good offense, well, there's two. One would be getting Jonathan Taylor back, and the other would be getting Anthony Richardson out there. But an offense without either of them is going to need heroic performances from special teams and defense to have a chance to win many games. And so. If they get that, that's fine. But it's it's expecting that every week in and week out is is not realistic. So um, I don't I, a win's a win. That's great. But I wouldn't look at this as thinking this offense has figured something out in a world where they have neither Taylor or Richardson. Like those guys are still unbelievably important to what this team's trying to do. This is sort of a risky one. I I, I just I want to I want to put like. I don't think it doesn't feel like it's like like I'm ready to say like I don't know I maybe it's just being slow on the uptick but I'm not I'm not entirely sure I think like this team is ready to contend is going to stay yeah uh, maybe maybe uh, maybe we've all been wrong this whole time maybe everyone make because like, every literally everyone has predicted this team was gonna. Have some rough spots. Um, I, I don't know. There's a part of me that wants to say, like, maybe I'm being too harsh because this is a huge win. Like, it's it's a huge win. They beat they beat the Ravens, who were two and zero. I know they were missing a lot of guys, but they were missing a lot of guys last week and they beat Cincinnati. Um, whether or not they're going to be leading the AFC South the whole season, I don't know. I I don't know if it's going to stay. Yeah, I think that would maybe still that's be a surprise. Ma- maybe that's last year talking. I don't know. No, it's early in the season. And, like, I think you have to give the benefit of the doubt to, like, Jaguars, something weird is going on with their offense. They scored nine points last week against the Chiefs. Today they got shellacked by the Texans, which nobody saw coming. 
So they have some things to figure out, but I, you have to bet on the track records. That's the thing, the track record of Trevor Lawrence with Doug Peterson. It's great to be encouraged about the future of Shane Steichen with Anthony Richardson, with you know a lot of the other young players they have. But you have to remember just how young they are and that over the course of 17 games, I do think that youth is going to show itself. You could be encouraged by moments of it, but usually, usually in this league, like super, super young teams, especially super young passing games, like it's hard to sustain that for 17 games. So it's a nice start, but but yeah, I wouldn't like we'd, we'd start out this podcast. They are better than I thought they were, but you know, I think I initially picked them to win five games. I think you picked them to six. So I'm ready to admit they're better than I thought they were, but yeah, I don't, I don't see a, I don't yet. I'm not yet sold that it's something more than an improved team. So they have to earn it. One, one to go on. One to go on. The defensive line is going to keep making plays. I think. I, I think next week, Mike. This might make me look dumb because Matthew Stafford like throws the ball so fast that no one can sack him. Um, that's true. <laughs> he's he's been sacked once this year, and he's getting the ball out of his hands in two point four seconds, which is so fast, like almost unsustainable over a regular season fast. By the way, I but, hope Anthony Richardson plays in that game because you're gonna have two of the strongest arm quarterbacks you will ever see. But. The uh, I I just I think that I, I know they've played some some backup <coughs> tackles. I just think they have enough guys. Yeah, yeah. The numbers really help them out. So I, when I was bringing that up, I'm I'm just curious to see kind of just how high end like a Samson Ebicom or Quiddy Pay are. But the fact that they have two of those, and then they also have Taekwon Lewis and Dio Dangbo, they can bring in on the edge, also move, you know. Dio on the inside, along with those you know two stars they have on the inside, they they finally I do think they have the mix of even to where they could you know obviously I hope they don't but injuries are going to happen if they lose a a guy here or there like last year's where it felt like they had a solid group but if they lost a guy they were in trouble down the stretch they did not overcome depth as well as they needed to this year feels like they're more suited to do that and so I'm going to make mine as a sort of a play off that but I think I think there's a real chance this is a very legitimate defense this year like high top 10 possible defense and so like last year was about an average defense and you know there were times where we you know, we talked about how you know the offense did them no favors but to your point about the defensive line they didn't feel like they had maybe that there's something missing at the top they didn't quite have the edge rush they didn't quite have the coverage. They, you know, they were, but this year feels like there's a little bit more, and it's not the area that I thought. This is well. How should I say this? It's. I think the main reason I'm saying this is what I saw at a Juju Brents today. So the concerns with this defense and the things that felt like it would hold it back is yes, they have incredible interior defensive linemen. Yes, they've got talent on the edges. They've got a great linebacking core. And you feel decent about their safeties. But it's like, what about the outside quarters? Those are such premium positions. And they're so young there. And But, like, while being very young there, Juju Brents is a second-round pick for a reason. Like, a lot of people liked him for a lot of different teams. But this team specifically, the way they play corners, where they want the lengthy corner, the press corner, the physical guy, like, he seems tailor-made. And we'll see if he can keep it up and – I'm I'm sure he'll have some struggles because that's what being a rookie is. But in terms of like the fit of what they need that position to do, like his the fact that he's six three and just how physical he is, the the level of competition he came from playing in some big games at Kansas State, you know, win, winning a Big Twelve title, the, just the confidence I saw today and the way that he's going to build because that confidence played into playing really well and getting a win. Like this is exactly what he needed to have in week three and I think there's no doubt he's like they found another starter and it's if he can do this it's gonna you know it makes it so that they can have one spot like that other outside corner spot where who knows maybe it becomes a rotation maybe Dallas Flyers just holds it down I still think there's concerns there but it's one it's a different thing to me to have concerns about one you know, number two cornerback position on the outside where you can do a little bit within the scheme or the pass rush can help overcome that, which I think they're good enough to do. It's a different conversation now that they maybe potentially found, you know, a good outside cornerback. And I, we talk about this with other stuff is like, 
it's not about like getting great at something. It's just going from like terrible to average. And at a position like outside corner, same like with left tackle, that makes a huge difference to get competency. I think they have it now, and that could open up some some nice things for a defense that has you know a decent number of Pro Bowl caliber players from Zaire Franklin to to Force Buckner to Grover Stewart to potentially Shaq Leonard if he can get back. Um, we haven't seen that yet, but you know I'm not going to rule it out. That could be another layer of upside they could bring. So um, there's a chance this is a really good defense this year. Colts beat the Ravens today, 22 to 19. For the Colts Cover Two podcast, I'm Joel Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. This is the First Impressions edition. We will be writing about the Colts the rest of the week at Indy Star and gearing up for a game against the Rams with two teams that I think have been better than most people expected so far.